0: Hello there, and welcome back to episode number twelve of uh, Royal Sports F1 Specials. This time, I'm looking at the French Grand Prix, a race that I think a lot of people thought was going to be a fairly boring one, fairly standard, but which turned into quite an exciting one, especially with alternating strategies for the top two drivers. and McLaren like piling through the field with a very good race and. Once again, a Max Verstappen win in a reverse of what we saw in Spain, this time Verstappen coming from behind to win in the last few laps. But obviously, I can't talk about the race on my own, so I've got a few guests this time to help talk about it with me. Um, First off, he's been on the show before. He's the head of news at Raw. Um, It is Cam Hall. Cam, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing okay. It's sort of a very good and a very bad day. It's a very good day because my exams are over. So I can now relax for the summer. I've got the Clarkson's Farm. I have a recommendation from a friend to watch Clarkson's Farm. So I am going to, in the motoring spirit, keep that up tonight. But I am also in self-isolation at the moment, potentially for anything up to a few days, up to a week and a half. So, yeah, it's going, it's going very well.
0: Yeah, I mean, everyone, it seems to be that a lot of um, campus and LEM is going into isolation at the moment and hopefully... We'll all get out it, of it. it, soon it yeah, over,
1: it's it, it's just like in the last week. It's just we were talking about it on Insight earlier in the week. How it's literally just gone up massively in the last week, almost from nowhere. And I think that that's that's the thing that has been pretty crazy. But the amount of people I know right now, I only had to go on my Twitter last night to see people posting in their self isolation notices from Track and Trace. I think we were all just hoping that this is this is going to be over soon.
0: Yeah, I mean anyone. Anyone that is isolating, watch the rest of the um, episodes. They were really good, and we do, we talk about many accurate <laughs>
1: shameless plug.
0: Yeah, um, but I Cam is not my only guest today. Um, I have another guest, first time appearance on the show. It is Ziga. Uh, if, I shout, that wrong, yeah, Ziga, Ziga if I pronounce yeah, that's Ziga If I pronounce that wrong, just correct. Uh,
2: so, oh, it's okay. Like I helped you there just to yeah. uh, just to do it. But I mean, hey. Uh... How are you? How are you? Still, um, like you know what? Um, it's week nine. I have nothing to do. All my exams are done. But I'm, I, I I think that I, I'd be enjoy, I'd enjoy chilling around for a bit. Um, for the last few weeks. But I mean, obviously, the situation right now, as said, um, in Leamington on campus, it's not the best.
0: But you got to make the most of the opportunities. Yeah, I mean, if anyone. Once again, if anyone who is watching this wants to come on, just message me. And you can also alleviate your boredom with a lack of exams. But mm-hmm. I guess what we'll do now is come on to the French Grand Prix. And what we'll, I'll quickly do for the um, audio listeners is run through the results. Um, in first place, we have the Stafford in second, Hamilton. Third, Perez. Fourth, Bottas. Fifth and sixth were Norris and Ricardo, Seventh, Gasly. Eighth was Alonso. Ninth was Vettel, and tenth was Lance Stroll. So, I mean, I'll come to you, Cam, first. What did you you sort of think of the race overall?
1: Surprisingly good for a race at Paul Ricard. I think that's the defining thing I could say about that. I thought that um, the the masterclass on strategy from Red Bull, I think very much pulling the reverse Barcelona, as you said earlier. It was, I think, certainly looking at Red Bull, they pulled a brilliant one there, both with um, Verstappen and with Perez. As well, I think really using both of their different abilities of tyres really well there. And Mercedes, it seems like the rails are starting to come off Mercedes a little bit, not necessarily just through bad performances, necessarily, but I think they're just getting outdone by a team that's faster than them, something they've not had since 2013. And it's, I think, certainly this was really telling listening to the frustrations of both drivers in that race. Red Bull seems to be on the ascendancy at the moment. And I think that was a really defining race for them.
0: I mean, would you agree just in general about the race? Do you think that Red Bull have begun to unsettle Mercedes in quite a big way?
2: So yeah, I think like ever since um, Checo got into the team, like he's clearly become that number two driver that Red Bull want to um, challenge Mercedes dominance. And like, And and like um, with with the attitude, like Perez saw like when he let uh let Max pass, he was like, oh oh, why do I have to do this? He was more like, let's get them because he knows that he's he he is a really good team player, and as and as a top team, you um you always want someone to help help your star driver to achieve what they want, and I think like that is where Red. What this is what Red Bull have done right since um since this uh gas uh, since since um ditching Gasly and Albon.
0: Yeah, I mean we'll start we'll start with Red Bull. We'll start with their number one driver Max Verstappen putting it on pole on Saturday. But on the first corner of the race, it almost looked like he'd thrown it or thrown it away. Um, I mean, Cam, what did you think when he sort of um, skidded, not really skidded, but lost it into turn one and let Hamilton through for the lead?
1: Yeah, it was an uncharacteristic mistake from Verstappen. And to be honest, you're always going to get them in a season. Um, I think more the fact he recovered it. Obviously, the that it was a bit of a mistake there. But again, the way that Red Bull obviously came back from that, the timing with the undercut, I think, was fantastic. Mercedes, again, got outgunned on that. Red Bull really used that to their advantage. And I think the crucial thing for Verstappen was he made that mistake in, at the start of the race, but kept himself enough behind Hamilton so he could pull that undercut off. And very much kept himself in that race in a way that Lewis in the past would have been able to go out four or five seconds in the lead, protect himself from the undercut. Verstappen made the mistake, but it didn't really feel like that he was totally out of the race. Whereas even last year, had he been on pole, made that mistake into turn one, it would have been game over. Lewis Hamilton would have gone on to win the race convincingly. So yeah, Verstappen did everything he needed to do despite that mistake. And that says a lot about how much he and Red Bull have come on over the last year.
0: No, yeah. I mean, I've always, I've, I was watching the first half of the race. So I always felt like Hamilton sort of had the measure on him, but there was always the threat from behind. But especially, um, like, as you say, the undercut into the first round of pit stops, Hamilton with a three second um like lead ahead, or a lead that you would think would be safe from any undercut. But as he comes out of the pits, Verstappen steams along and gets up the inside into turn one. I mean, Ziga, were you surprised? That the Verstappen managed to make up that amount of time because I know I certainly it was.
2: Um for, for Hamilton he's always had that um kind of that com- comfort zone and even Mercedes felt like even uh like when Max was pitted early he like he would still be comfortably ahead but this time that com- uh that comfort zone is like no longer there because the uh, like especially with the like the Honda engine like it is pretty damn impressive Especially on a straight line, and seriously, like, what have Mercedes got to res- respond after that fiasco with their strategy? I mean, come on. Yeah, they
0: could. Um, I oh know. Keep going. Keep going. Sorry.
2: But um, but if um, yeah, I, but um, but if if it wasn't um, but if it wasn't for Bottas coming in early, then I, then, um, the outcome of the race would have been different.
0: Yeah, I think it I think it's almost a bit harsh to say Mercedes really messed up the strategy with Hamilton in particular. Um I'll come back to you Cam you want to say something about the timings but quickly I mean you'd think that with a 3 second gap that you would be able to keep stay ahead. Mercedes seemed really surprised that Verstappen managed to jump them and I think even Verstappen seemed surprised that he managed to get ahead but I mean what do you want to say Cam?
1: Yeah, I on that point in particular, that the importance of the gap at the undercut, because you typically, I think, need about three seconds to perform an undercut. That's the typical kind of zone where you need to have it. The race did this um, fantastic video on YouTube. Um really recommend you have a look at it with regards to how Verstappen pulled off that strategy. And particularly, it was vital for them for Rebel to be able to pull that second stop off to get ahead of Hamilton and use that undercut. But the, to the pit stops, actually, there wasn't really too much difference. Between the stops i think the race calculated it was about 0.2 seconds where the difference was made was on the in laps which i think they said was about one about 0.9 second quicker i believe it was for verstappen and the so the in laps were 0.9 seconds quicker the outlapse where the real difference was made was 1.9 seconds quicker for verstappen so it says a lot about the strategy but it also Really presses home how much Verstappen did to bring that gap down and bring himself into play there. And at the end of the day, the team can only do so much. The driver needs to be really performing and really maximising the opportunity. Verstappen did that there, and that was why he won the race.
0: Yeah, I mean, I saw that. I saw that video from the race, and I was even more surprised when I saw Verstappen coming out because um, Mercedes had actually put in quite a good pit stop for Hamilton. It had been one of the. It had been almost up there with the Red Bull times. And like what we saw at Baku last, um, yeah, the race go, Mercedes were compromised in the pit stops and managed to not get out, out ahead of either of the Red Bulls. So, I mean, it's just, do you think that, Ziga, do you think that Red Bull do have the measure of Mercedes? Do you think that they're starting to dominate like them, especially when you think that Mercedes usually so dominant over over an entire weekend, now can go into the pits 3 seconds ahead and come out behind um their competitors
2: I, I still think like it's it's going to be a very long season ahead so red red uh like for for some we, uh some weekends red bull may dominate some weekends it could be mercedes weekend so it it all depends on what kind of setup um both these teams bring into a weekend and 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 also like the strat uh and and also like strategy plays a key key role in uh uh during the season because in some some circuits there's always a high chance of a safety car so with that like it's um with all these safety uh i mean at this weekend like there's a high chance of safety car so with that in mind you have um it forces teams to rethink of what what they want to do with their drivers
0: Mm. I mean, but there was another twist to the tale when um, Verstappen, after only I think a uh, ten or fifteen laps on his um, hard tyres, came in for another pit stop, and we saw eventually what happened was a reverse of Spain, where Verstappen came through with a twenty second um, twenty second deficit to overtake Hamilton in the final few laps. I mean, do you? Th- I'll come to you, Cam. Do you think there is a psychological blow, just? for Mercedes, considering especially that they did the same thing to Verstappen in Spain, but then Red Bull have come out and done exactly the same thing in reverse, showing that maybe it hasn't affected them as much as it possibly could have. I think what Mercedes should have done is like, when they realised that um, Red Bull
2: pitied Verstappen just just for him to make up the deficit, they should have been like, oh god, <laughs> now he's going to try and chase Hamilton and steal that victory. It's basically yeah. Uh, it's basically like they're getting revenge on us, and um the, the way, uh the position where he came out from where for, which is fourth, like it was always inevitable that there, there was gonna be team orders for Perez to let um Verstappen by, but uh, had they been able, but had they been able to use Bottas effectively to hold hold up um Verstappen, then Verstappen chasing that vi- uh, victory would have been. A bit more difficult considering the state of his tyres
0: yeah we'll come on to Bottas now another driver who quite quite vocally wanted to do a two stop and was not given the option but I mean Cam do you think that maybe if Bottas hadn't um, made a mistake defending from Verstappen on the Mistral straight that he would have held him back for maybe a lap or two longer and that Hamilton maybe could have got the win?
1: I'm not. I'm not sure because, to be honest, the I think one of the things we've seen it's been quite a constant theme over the last few races is teams pulling off these strategies because of the rates of degradation in the Pirelli tires and the fact that I think the longer you're taking these tires on at the moment, I think this the degradation starting to kind of almost hit the cliff a bit quicker now in a way that it hasn't really done in the last couple of seasons. So I think Bottas was starting to hit the cliff by that point. I think he wouldn't have been able to hold up even if it was just a case of one more lap. The DRS is very powerful down the Mistral straight, and it would have fallen at some point. Of course, there was it was only like the penultimate lap where the overtake on Hamilton was done. So maybe one more lap, who knows? But it would have been inevitable, I think, that Bottas would have got past Verstappen. And I think, I I ultimately think just the fact that Verstappen's a better racer as well would have helped. I think the fact that Bottas is clearly not happy at Mercedes at the moment, I think would clearly have been affecting his performances there. Uh, It was... Again, I think it's just the inevitability with the way that the Pirelli tyres are degrading. And we've seen it. There's, I'm sure, one team we'll come on to later who it really didn't go well for in this race. But that variable degradation and the way that teams are using it and the way that different drivers have different ways of managing tyres as well. For Verstappen, he is someone who can go out and deliver those quick laps. And yes, he may degrade the tyres a bit more, may burn through. But if you can go half the pace to do that two-stop, then he was always going to make it work in a way that you don't really have that confidence with Bottas because Bottas doesn't have the raw pace that Verstappen does.
0: No, I mean, and Bottas, very, very vocal about wanting to do the two-stop. We saw quite a quite a sweary radio message um, during the race. It's just, I mean, I'll come to you he, he, it. It just, It just seems like or either both of you, actually. I mean, I'll come to you, Ziga, and then go to Cam. It just seems like Bottas' time at Mercedes definitely seems to just be wrapping itself up at this point. At at some point, like, Mercedes, Mercedes will probably announce um,
2: George Russell as Hamilton's uh, pairing. Like, it's, a, it's now a question of when Mercedes will uh, announce it, not not a matter of if, because uh, historically, um like when Bottas was given like a one-year contract, he always performs well uh, in the first half of the season, and then as um, he gets the second half of the season, he just tails off. In this case, like he's basically gone a wall and Mercedes are clearly not happy with his performance, and and um, this uh, this gives and, and with George Russell outperforming um, the uh, outperforming that Williams car, like surely um, if he's able to do something in like one of the worst cars on the grid,
0: then he deserves a seat at a top team. Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, Russell in 12th, arguably is, um, I think he said it was his best performance in a Williams car. And I'll come to you, Cam, I'll add something as well. Do you think, obviously, Bottas has said that um there's only one team that does mid, uh, mid-season mid driver switches, obviously referring to Red Bull and their multiple mm-hmm. second driver switches um, throughout a, the few seasons. Do you think that Mercedes could do a mid-season driver switch, bringing in Russell I, with the...
2: I, I think that would be very silly of Mercedes. Like, uh, like, like that would be very, very controversial. And I don't think it will go down well with the fans. Like... Red, Red Bull doing like a midseason swap is completely understandable because um, they also own AlphaTauri, so they can do whatever they want. But w- Williams and Mercedes, yes, they have their link, but but so Williams is just a customer team, and they, they um and they're just they uh, and they are just there because they have a deal with Mercedes to use their engine, and as part of the and as part of the deal, um. Mercedes will put um, their junior drivers, what junior drivers if they have any, into that team.
0: I mean, I think my only thought would be is that, especially, I mean, Bottas is still behind uh, Norris in the standings. And let's be honest, the McLaren, while a good car, is definitely still a midfield car. So Mm -hmm. if Mercedes keep falling behind Red Bull in the Constructors' championships, as we've been seeing, that they might want to bring in Russell, but give him the express condition that you are trying to help Hamilton win the title. I mean, Cam, would Mm -hmm. would you agree that that is something they could possibly do?
1: They won't entertain the prospect. Mercedes. I think that I, I think from building on what Shika was saying there, the nature of the partnership between Red Bull and Alpha Tower is very different to the nature of the relationship between Mercedes and Williams and Na- Red Bull and Alpha Tower. Is whilst obviously Alpha has become a lot more independent within the last couple of years, especially obviously they don't share the same chassis anymore. They've obviously they diverse their resources a lot more. Their partnership, obviously, in the nature of relations the Red Bull driver program means that Red Bull can do that effectively both drivers in those teams are contacted to or contracted to Red Bull rather than the two separate teams. And Red Bull can kind of put the two drivers in the two separate teams. Mercedes and Williams are two completely separate entities with a technical partnership. So I can't see that happening in that sense, I think, as well. Mercedes, I think also, I think one of the most difficult things with Valdry Bottas in terms of m- removing Valdry Bottas from the team, if you listen to Toto Wolf, this was an interview with Jake Humphrey doing a high-performance podcast, a couple of months ago that really drove home the point that the balance and the harmony in Mercedes at this moment between Hamilton and Bottas is exactly the sort of thing that they want. When he talks about sort of the relationship that Hamilton and Rosberg had, that that was very prickly. It was very spiky and it, they thought it was very much the detriment of the team. Hamilton and Bottas both know their roles in that team. They perform them well and they work well with each other. It's harmonious. And I think if you are trying to get Lewis Hamilton to win, arguably what I think is his most difficult um championship fight at mercedes i don't think mercedes would risk upsetting that balance throughout the season so i can't see that happening even though bottas may not be as reliable a second driver says perez is to verstappen i can't see them upsetting that balance because i think ultimately lewis is going to be most unsettled by it what i do see happening though at the end of the season i i said at the start of the season in all the predictions videos that i couldn't see bottas at the team next year and I thought that it was a case where there'd be too much pressure to put to bring Russell up. The pressure is clearly building. That was a fantastic performance from George Russell. I think arguably one one-off, if not his best in Formula One. But also Bottas has literally just kind of fallen away a bit. He's he's doing in many ways what the Red Bull second drivers were last season. Then he's not there to provide that buffer for the second driver to be used in a way to stop, for example, the strategy that Verstappen was able to pull off in that race. So I think that but that, and on top of the fact he's been really inconsistent as well, Bottas will be out of the team next season. I can see George Russell getting that seat. I guess the only question, other question is who is his teammate? I reckon Lewis Hamilton is likely to stay on, not guaranteed. But yeah, I could almost see a Russell-Bottas swap at the end of the season. And I think that's becoming likely. And I think the Williams atmosphere with someone like Bottas driving that team with his experience and his previous links to the team, I think is something that'd be really beneficial there
0: well i mean it remains to be seen and i'm sure whatever we say will be proved wrong in a week's time because that's just tends to be how it works but we'll come on to the other mercedes driver lewis hamilton obviously getting into first getting overtaken um by the but then uh sort of almost winning the race i mean with only two laps to go i'll come to you um cam first do you think that is the best that hamilton could have hoped for or is there? I mean, is there anything else that he could have done with like, Mercedes, to win
1: yeah. this race? Mercedes will be disappointed with that undercut that we talked about earlier. If they, if Red Bull hadn't pulled that undercut off, I think Lewis probably would have won the race. But because they pulled that undercut off, and it gave them the option for Stappen to put those laps in to be able to pit again and then catch up to Lewis. I don't. I. I, I think he drove. I, he drove a good race. I. I apart from. The, the differences that we brought up earlier with the in laps and the outlaps and the undercut, there wasn't anything else that I think Lewis Hamilton could really have done in that race. And I think that I, it says a lot about where the cars are at the moment with the Rebel and the Mercedes. And I think Mercedes will be looking for a response in Austria, but Lewis, I think is putting everything out. He can at the moment. It's just that Red Bull are working far better as a team at the moment. And Verstappen, I think he's just outdriving Lewis, and yeah. th- that—that's all you can say, really.
0: Yeah, I mean, it seemed to be quite a standard Hamilton performance, like just um, performing to its best. But sometimes, uh, you could—I guess—you could say his best wasn't enough. Um, like uh, on Sunday, I mean, Giga, would you agree that just Hamilton couldn't do anymore apart from like, perhaps like, uh, staying like, ahead like... of um, Hamilton, of Verstappen, at the first mm-hmm. round of pit stops. I mean, like,
2: uh, I'm not sure if we would have been able to pull a gap um, away at the very start of the race. But in general, like, I kind of feel sorry for Hamilton because, um, because, uh, because it's not like um, 2017 and 2018 where um, the team were able to uh, utilize uh, their resource effectively to counter the threat of uh, Ferrari. This time, like, with uh, this, this time, like, Lewis Hamilton, like. He's at the front, but he's kind of isolated because um, r- both uh, both the Red Bull drivers are better than Bottas, and they pull it and and they're pull- pulling away from him. So Hamilton has to deal with the two Red Bulls on his own. Huh?
0: Yeah, I mean, you—it's not really much you can say. Hamilton is fairly fairly standard race, and you just think that. Something needs to almost go better for Hamilton. We always say that he gets a lot of luck, but maybe he needs some outright luck to to be able to compete with the two Red Bulls. And I guess finally we'll talk about the last of the uh, top four, Sergio Perez, a driver who I'm pretty sure can make tyres last until the end of time. I mean, it just shows the difference. I'll come to you, Giga, first. It just shows the difference between the number two drivers when Bottas, who was clearly very happy with his strategy, is then overtaken in the final few laps um, by Perez on the same strategy, who has just made the tyres last longer, as he's always done throughout his career.
2: I think like Red Bull have uh, like, um, stri- uh, strike a good balance between the... Um... The uh, driver correct, uh, characteristic with uh, obviously Max, he's very fast, he's very pacey Obviously, his tire management is uh, is uh, is uh, uh, like it's never going to be the best, but um, but Red Bull can count on his um, speed. And then you have Sergio Perez, like he just somehow makes uh, makes those tires last in an era where every Pirelli Pe- ty- tires it just goes. Off, uh, like as you say, off the cl- cliff very easily, and I, I think like that's one of the strength of Perez, to uh, that he's able to make these kind of once one one stoppers work, and also also with Perez, like with his first stint, he's able to ex- extend them so that by the time it gets the second stint, he doesn't have to worry. Or like in the case of um, Portuguese Grand Prix,
0: he can try and pump in those fast fast laps yeah i mean i'll come to you cam do you think that perez i mean we've always seen that perez has been good at holding onto his tires i think the race i'm remembering now is canada 2012 where alonso and vettel both tried a strategy that just didn't work for them but perez made it work and i think got on the podium in uh, the salber it was then which was a fairly midfield car that season i mean Apart from perhaps Hamilton, who obviously we've seen in Turkey with the interselect tyre, do you think that Perez is the driver that can just hold on to the tyres as long as as long as humanly possible?
1: I mean, if you if you want to go further back than that, I was thinking um, Australia 2011, where if you ignore the fact he got disqualified in that race, he was the only driver to do a one stop in the first race of Pirelli, where everyone was expecting four and five stops. And he managed to pull a car. I think he qualified so a lower midfield into seven. So from his first race in Formula One, we knew that Perez was going to be very good with the tyres. It was one of his strengths. And for Red Bull, and arguably for anyone fighting for a championship, I think he's got the most ideal skill for a second driver that we've seen so many times throughout his career. Because with Perez, what you need is you need the options that having tire, that just that longer time management brings you. Because with Perez... You can, as we've seen, get him to pump in those quick laps really quickly, get him to really use the tyres effectively and keep them on quick laps for quicker, so sort of quick laps for longer even. We'll bring him into the pits and then really using the strategy that way in many ways that Mercedes have done with Hamilton. Or you have Perez pull very long first stints as we saw in this race. And say you get a mid-race safety car, you know, say you can, what like we have in Monaco where you have drivers struggling behind slower cars, you have the ability and the flexibility at that point to bump Perez up the field and use the race to his advantage. So he's got the most ideal think the most ideal skill, arguably, for a second driver in a team to really give the first driver the opportunity to push out and stay ahead, and using the second driver to really sort of inhibit the other teams. So that it's a it's a key skill that he's got, and he has, I think, in this race and I think fact all season really been showing how important. That is, and really what makes him different to Gasly and Albon, as well as things like the setup as well. I just think it's that skill that I think is so important. And he's really found his feet now at Red Bull. I think that's the most important thing. He's found his feet at Red Bull in the last few races, and he's really starting to put out now the performances that he was expected to. And, you know, the Red Bull Driver Academy has some hot young prospects coming up. Liam Lawson, Yuri Vips, Johan Zaruvala. But I don't really see any of them... Really getting into Alpha Tauri, let alone Red Bull, anytime soon. So I think to have Perez in there, putting the performances on that he's doing, I think it's certainly exactly what Red Bull want right now. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And
0: what we'll do now is sort of come on to, I guess, we'll come to the midfield and I'll just read out the driver's standings quickly too. And while we do that. I mean, Verstappen on 131, Hamilton on 119. Presum 84, Norris 76, Bottas down in fifth on 59, Leclerc 52, Sainz 42, Gasly 37, Ricardo 34, and Sebastian Vettel on 30. But two drivers who came fifth and sixth and are part of that um upper midfield battle are the two McLaren drivers. And I'm, I want to give special mention first off to Daniel Ricardo. I'll come to you first, um, Cam. Um, do you think that this race really showed that Daniel Ricciardo probably is getting used to McLaren a bit more? He seemed to be on a, be on a second win, especially when compared to his races at the start of the season.
1: Yeah, ba- best race by far so far for Ricciardo and McLaren. Didn't necessarily qualify well, but his performance in the race. And again, that it was a little bit like we started to see a bit of the old Ricciardo coming through as well. Some very good overtakes, very daring overtakes as well and I think again Lando Norris is still the faster driver in that car at the moment he's still the driver that's getting the most out of it I think a lot of that is just I think reflection of how far he has personally come since the end of 2020 into this season but you know Daniel Ricciardo I think has really started I think to settle into that car I think his qualifying pace does need to be a bit quicker I think I want to see you'd want to see him fighting a little more closer to Lando Norris getting into Q3 more consistently but His race pace is starting to be there now, and I think that's a very encouraging sign. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned
0: Lando Norrish, I'll talk about him now. That's his, I think there's been, so there's been seven races, and I think that's his sixth top five finish um, of the season, which is quite an an incredible feat for, or quite just incredibly consistent for a midfield car to always be getting into that top five. I mean, does this show me maybe... I feel like lando norris has always been a bit under under regarded especially when you compare him to like the eclairs the verstappens the potential of george russell do you think that maybe if especially in 2022 if mclaren get a title winning car together do you think that lando norris could be could be up there with verstappen and with a russell who may be going to mercedes in 22. so
2: so what i think of um lando norris like is like um for the first two seasons in F1, he's had a slow start. Like he's always had to learn from his, um, a bit experienced teammate of Carlos Sainz and going to his third season where he knows the team really well and like, and like knowing the driver that's coming through, like his mindset is like, right, I need to perform. Otherwise my F1 career is, is at risk. And so this, this is what he's doing. Well, it's like, he's, um, like he's get he's uh he's like using you ut- uh utilizing his knowledge of um mclaren in general to uh to to get hi- get him to finish as high as possible and and I, and i think for him like having that knowledge of the team allows him to um especially with the car allows him to give him the optimum setup which in which he can perform to the best of his abilities and if mclaren deliver um, a really good car for 2022 then I could see a title battle that is not just with three drivers it could be a four-way fight it could be a five-way fight
0: who knows uh, yeah I mean it remains to be seen especially because obviously 2022 is such a big change that whether Lando Norris can get into that fight but A team that couldn't get into the fight especially at this race was ferrari cam as you mentioned earlier they just could not get their tires working i mean what what went wrong for them because they've been they were on pole for the last two races the claire i mean would have been on pole at monaco had he not like crashed and then not been able to start was on pole at azerbaijan before being overtaken by hamilton the first few laps but now i mean science was 11th the club i think down 15th or 16th what just what went wrong for ferrari this weekend?
1: I, I, I just think i think it's interesting autosport did a bit of analysis on this and i think it was quite interesting the way they were talking about the degradation because we were talking about obviously the degradation with the one and the two stops and i think it was just the case that ferrari have a car that's obviously very suited to qualifying pace or tracks where you do have a bit of a mixture of kind of like particularly a lot of slower corners, which obviously when you're in Monaco, when you're in Baku, is is exactly the sort of thing you're looking for. So a circuit like Paul Ricard, where you don't really have a lot of slow corners, where they are very flowing, it's very, very sort of high downforce, you need to be working your tyres properly. And they just weren't able to do it. And... Yeah, I think it's a difficult one for Ferrari, just not able to get those tyres working. I think the car's quick. The car is clearly quick because their qualifying pace was good. But I think they really need to sort out just that issues with the degradation that they've got at the moment. And it's it's a fix that I think, you know, history has told us. I think Mercedes back in 2013 had the same problem. Car was really quick, couldn't get the tyres working in the race. So it's very clear that they can fix this problem but certainly something to scratch their heads out at Maranello at the moment, because the signs are it's been a very encouraging season so far, and the car is clearly quick. But I think that's a bit of a chink in their armour that they need to sort out at the moment, definitely.
0: I mean, Giga, would you agree, that especially with the two races in Austria coming up, it's quite a a fast circuit. You need the high downforce. You need to get the tyres working. Do you think the Ferrari might struggle over the next few races? Um, I I mean,
2: Leclerc last year, uh, in Austria, um, like yes, the car was uh, what wasn't that great, but he still somehow managed to get the car in um, into a po- into a podium position despite its lack of pace. So all is not so all is not um um lost for Ferrari, but I can definitely see a uh, like like if uh but I but in, in qualifying. I don't see a problem with that, but in terms of the race pace, then it is a little bit of an issue um, um, if, you, uh, like if you ask a Ferrari, if, if you ask any of the Tifosi's who's probably watching it right now, but no, um, but no, knowing um, these two, uh, like the circuit, it will probably have a safety car then, if they can get it right, then they can finish high like they did uh, last year in Austria but also bear in mind this next race um i'm not i'm not sure if um ferrari are as good um in the wet as um as like lewis hamilton max verstappen or even esteban ocon huh.
0: oh, yeah i mean we'll made to be seeing whether it will rain in um austria and obviously we're all hoping for a wet race we always do in f1 <laughs> But we'll come we'll come on to that um when we get to our preview of the uh, Steering Grand Prix. But finally, I'll come back to you, Cam, quickly. Do you think that Fry can really afford to have these slow or these non-point scoring races if they want to finish third in the constructors' championship, especially because McLaren, like they really performed this weekend. And I think if we if I get up the gaps quickly, they it was now a sixteen-point gap, which for a midfield midfield teams is quite a big gap to overcome so do you think that Ferrari can really afford to have many more of these slower weekends
1: well there's the old cliche in formula one that you don't get points on saturday you get all your points on sunday until three races later on this season but um certainly right now i think the thing that ferrari have got is they've clearly got a quick car but they haven't been able for reasons obviously monaco out somewhat outside of their own control. If they checked the entire car before sending it out on track on Sunday, then maybe got some points there with Charles Leclerc. Um, but also with this, obviously with the tires, I think that's more connected to the car rather than an operational thing. I think the thing with McLaren and the reason McLaren third is the same reason that McLaren finished in third last season. They didn't have the fastest car at the top of the midfield battle, but what they had were drivers that were consistent and maximising their opportunities and getting results and scoring consistent points. And at the end of the day, that is what's going to get you higher up in the standings. That's what's going to get McLaren third rather than Ferrari. So what Ferrari need to do is they really need to, I think, versus take any of these opportunities in qualifying, because it's clear that there will be certain tracks, I'm thinking the Hungaro ring coming up in a few races time, that could be a real opportunity for Ferrari to have a really strong qualifying result there and then convert that if everything goes well, potentially, who knows, into a double podium, maybe a win on Sunday. That's sort of my analysis of that car and the tracks that it suits. But they're going to need to maximize those opportunities when they come and be more consistent at scoring points because you can guarantee that McLaren will also be there in that race, maybe not as quick as Ferrari, but they're going to be certainly high up scoring a lot of points. And they'll be there on every other weekend in the season where Ferrari may not be at their advantage so that consistency is crucial and ferrari need to get a lot more consistency on sunday i think to just edge them ahead of mclaren
0: yeah i mean what i'll do for the audio listeners is just read out the constructors so red bull are on 215 mercedes 178 mclaren 110 ferrari 94 alpha tari and aston martin on 45 and 40 alpine on 29 alfa romeo on 2 and obviously Haas and williams bringing up the rear on zero points I mean, we'll talk about the last last sort of three teams of the midfield, Alpha Tauri, Aston Martin and Alpine. I say they all they all had fairly decent races. I come to Yushiga first, obviously. Um Stroll managing to come through to get points from nineteenth on the grid. Um like Vettel getting points, Alonso getting points for Alpine and Gaza getting points for Alpha Tauri. I'd say it was a fairly uh, balanced race for all three of those teams with no team really having uh, dominance over one, one another.
2: Like, I, 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 I say you summarised it really well because at, at the end, uh, like the, these teams, like they are lower midfield teams, so they are pretty much fighting for scr- uh, scratch for points. If you assume a good race, so for for them, really, um, it's like for their drivers is is to be able to perform to the best of their abilities and finish. Um, in the points consistently as um because as cam said like at the end of the day
0: consistency is the one that uh gets you to finish higher yeah i mean would you agree cam that these teams were just just fairly balanced this weekend really not that interesting yeah
1: i mean that battle i think it's like with ferrari mclaren i think they're going to be interchangeable between races um Aston Martin have definitely improved, I would say, in the last few races, certainly from where they were at the start of the season. I think they've got on top of some of the reliability issues. I think Vettel, I think that couple of races in Baku and Monaco, I think have clearly inspired him. He looks like a far more comfortable driver in that car. I think Lance Stroll. Again, Lance Stroll, I've never really been able to fully judge him because I can never know whether I think he's improving or whether I think he's really stagnating at the same point. But I think there is signs that Lance Stroll is starting I think to really make some move forward in that car Alpine I Alpine have kind of had a really good couple of races at the start of the season I think they've settled in now to where we that car is probably going to be at the lower end of the midfield I think it's very clear that they Alpine clearly see both their drivers um being able to really put those performances in and Alonso's starting to score those consistent points that he was brought in to do I think if Ocon can be there just a little bit more regularly I think that will be Exactly what Alpine need to get themselves ahead there. Alpha Tower, again, Pierre Gasly's really, I think, been dragging that team this season. I think we need to see more performances from Yuki Sonoda. That's not to say necessarily that he won't be on the grid next season, but I think if Alpha Tower are going to stay ahead of Alpine and Aston Martin, given the fact that both teams seem to have both their drivers dialing into that car into their cars now, Yuki Sonoda needs to start doing that more consistently. In the AlphaTauri, because there's going to come a point where Pierre Gasly can't just carry that entire team and be scoring all the points, as brilliant as he has been and carrying on carrying on a lot of his form from 2020.
0: Yeah, and then we had the final three teams: Alfa Romeo, Haas, and Williams. But once again, fairly, fairly standard races out of the points. I mean, I feel like Alfa so, Romeo, can we
1: can, can we yeah. actually give a quick shout out first? Sorry to Mick Schumacher. Um, apart from crashing at the end of Q1, stopping him getting into Q2. Um, fantastic lap from Mick Schumacher. I think really starting to dial into that car. I think his relationship with Sebastian Vettel, there's clearly that mentoring is going very well there because it's really you can see it's really having an impact on Mick in terms of settling into Formula 1. And I think he's really starting to show now some of that, even though he's quite limited in the Hass, I think this was a real sign of him showing that potential as to why so many people were excited about him coming into F1.
0: Yeah, I mean, Giga, do you want to say anything else? Obviously, you mentioned George Russell having a really good performance. Like, is there any other drivers out of those three teams that you want to say anything about? Um, apart from
2: Mazapin uh, Maz- Maz- finishing last as per, like, uh, it uh, it raises uh, a further question, like, why-, why is he even in the sport uh, other than just money? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, I think this was actually the first time Maz of him finished below his qualifying position. Because obviously, Sonoda <laughs> C- was last, so he must have qualified uh, 19th and finished 20th. Because again, this was one of the f- few first races in a while where all 20 drivers finished. And then <laughs> Alfa Romeo, I saw, I don't know what's going on with Alfa Romeo. They just, they're just there. They're genuinely just there. They don't do anything. Yeah. It's just they're so mundane.
1: I, I feel the thing with Alfa Romeo is is that they're kind of stuck in a bit of a halfway house because they're clearly better than they're clearly better than Haas and I think slightly ahead of Williams. I think George Russell, I think, is in many circuits doing that Williams perhaps more justice than I think it deserves. But they aren't on the level yet of Alpines and your Aston Martins and your Alpha Tauris. So they are as you kind of say. Just there, I think the way out Al- Alpha Romeo going to score their points a little bit like they did last season was kind of pick up those occasional top ten finishes, like they have, like they did with um, um, Giovinazzi in Monaco and um, Raikkonen out in Baku. So I think that's I think that's just where they are. That I think if the only thing you could say about Alpha Romeo is maybe more drivers consistently getting into Q two, they do seem to involve themselves at times with the Williams cars when I don't think that car. Certainly, if, you're, if you've if you got a driver finishing below the Fee, I don't quite think that justifies the difference in pace between the Alfa Romeo and the Williams. But, yeah, aside from that, they are just there.
0: Yeah, I mean, it'll be a very interesting race when we eventually talk about an Alfa Romeo. I think that's <laughs> the only way you can put it. But that, I guess that's sort of the French Grand Prix completely recap now. So what we'll do is we'll move on to... News that has just come out, been confirmed today, but has been rumoured for the last week, really. And that is changes to the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix layout. So what they're doing is they're getting rid of the chicane at turn, oh gosh, four and five. If you just, I should have a track map up, but if you just look at a track map and then look at the top right corner. I I don't, I'm not sure. Not sure how to put it up, but it just like the top right corner, they're getting rid of that chicane. They're getting rid of the chicane on the second, at the end of the second straight for um, a more sweeping uh, right-hand or left-handers for both. I mean, I'll come to you, Cam, first. Do you think that these changes are a good idea? I mean, they can't not be a good idea <sighs> depending on how
1: have the, the, the
0: races normally.
1: They've, they've got to do something at that track. For me... Um... The change at turn 11 at the end of the second back straight, I'm not a fan of that personally. I think you do get overtaking. The thing is you get overtaking into turn 11, and my fear is you're going to lose that overtaking opportunity at the end of the DRS straight. Just simply the fact that it isn't the braking zone that it used to be. Drivers tend to prefer. It's easier for a driver to overtake into a braking zone. I fear it's going to be kind of just a sort of medium speed left of where the driver's going to sort of turn into it a little bit like the new turn 10 at Barcelona. And I think it's not going to be easy to follow out. And I don't think it's going to solve the issues of trying to do an overtake into turn 17 in that final sector. Because you can't, I, I don't think by the nature of that final sector, you can really overtake into any of those corners. So my fear is removed a breaking zone there potentially, but I would like to be proved wrong. I'm slightly disappointed, I have to say, with the change at five, six and seven. I do think if you look at the Abu Dhabi track, they literally, all they had to do was just change the location of the white lines and literally just continue the track down that service road, down to the hairpin in much tighter apex corner than the one that they've um, produced. Again, that means a much more heavier breaking zone and much more of an opportunity. And I think having that going into that first back straight, I think would make it a whole lot more interesting. I think we see a lot more, potentially a lot more kind of wheel to wheel action and a lot more, sort of overtaking battles going on for longer. Whereas I fear the way they've kind of designed this corner again, it could kind of very easily turn into a bit of a medium speed corner that kind of for the driver behind kind of offsets their rhythm a bit going into that back straight tight that just going down that service road and having a tighter apex corner, I think would have been better there. So I, I think I'm going to need to see the changes, but are changes that needed to be done. I'm just not sure they were the changes I would have made.
0: I think, the only thing I'd say about your five six seven change, I don't think there was enough runoff at that um, at that corner. For I, I, I don't. Th-
1: I, the, the runoff, I think, would have been. I know, obviously, they're going in at a much further speed, so I can understand that. But I, they could easily have made. I think they could easily have made it. I don't know if that's necessarily sort of changing the stands or, or just giving it a tighter apex at the end of the day. I feel that the problem with that corner is that we know the problems with the chicane that the chicane takes out any over- overtaking opportunity there because there's not really enough time to overtake into that chicane and it's not really a suitable overtaking opportunity and you can't really get the momentum to perform an overtake from six and seven but i would have liked to have seen just a little bit if they could have done a tighter apex corner there and I, un- I understand your point on the runoff but if there is a way, I don't know whether they could have done something to the stands. Maybe move the stand back. But I mean, I, I don't know if I'm advocating yeah. too much of a rebuild here. But it just seems like such a logical and sensible idea to use that service road. I, I don't know why they couldn't have done that.
0: Yeah, I mean, Ziga, would you agree? What was What are your thoughts? On the changes that look like they're about to, about or that are going to make to the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix circuit, I've,
2: I've, I think this is definitely long overdue. Because, um when when this first uh, when this circuit um, first opened, Kimi said the first few turns are good. Um, let me read out um, what Kimi Kimi thought. The first few turns are quite good, but the rest of it. So uh, that just shows you like uh, how, like so so, in essence. Um it, uh, is long overcoming and I'm sure Kimmy will be <laughs> proud that um, at least some form of change is coming up, but um but I still see the problem in sector three where it's just 90 degrees. So I would with uh, these cars producing a lot of dirty air, like surely it's still gonna be hard to follow around. But um but um a lot of people have criticised um, Turn Eleven, but I th- I think like it could be an opportunity where where like some drivers could uh th- there could be like more than one racing line at that um, left handed bank and if 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 they're brave enough they could go around the outside carry a lot of speed and then uh, and then miraculously get ahead of the of of the driver, but. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see how it goes in the, in
0: in like the first uh, first race with that new configuration. Yeah, I mean, I think one, I think the idea we're probably thinking of is like sort of a Jello turn one, that sort of sweeping sweeping right hander that allowed for mm. different racing lines and still allowed um for cars to go side by side up to. Turn three and four at that circuit. So, I mean, mm-hmm. that could be that could be how it goes. But as you both say, we do need to wait and see. And I still think the fundamental problems with the circuit remain. in the sector three is genuinely awful. It's arguably the worst sector on the calendar, ahead almost ahead of Sochi sector three.
1: O- was... All of Sochi, all of all of that of track.
2: Yeah, no, all of... yeah, so, yeah. I think, I think Russia definitely.
1: Sochi russia deserves Sochi. a better
2: track
0: yeah yeah i mean fochi isn't a great race and this isn't a great race especially as uh this will be the finale of what could end up being a really so much, really close so championship money, yeah. let's just end it in interlagos where it's always better right yeah but,
1: I, I, mean, I i i i stand that 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 i i don't get why i understand obviously they moved it to abu dhabi because obviously i think kind of from building on what giga was saying the finance the finances are there more and you can put more of a spectacle there but we've never had a bad season finale at interlagos I-, I i don't get why eight years ago formula one kind of went you know let's let's change something that's not broken mm-hmm. so yeah hopefully common sense might prevail there one day although obviously we know interlagos does have issues with its contracts mm-hmm. so that that might be the only issue there
0: yeah but it- Money, money talks and it doesn't look like it's going to change for a while but what would will do um, I have
2: we'll... a suggestion uh, do you yeah, mind if I yeah. make a point like if if, if, you, if you if you want to throw money and have a good finale then I think um, Bahrain could be a better idea because Bahrain is a night race it's like everything's going down down the light and
0: we could see some will-to-will wheel, action on the final day huh. Yeah, I mean, can you have, have imagined uh, the Bahrain Grand Prix that we saw at the start of the season being the finale, let's say, yeah. Hamilton to win the title, we, needs to win by, by I don't know, five, by over five points to win the title. Yeah, Stafford's charging up his rear. Can you imagine how exciting that would have been? I do see your point that if we do, if you have to have a money race as the final finale, that Bahrain yeah. might might be an option. Yeah. yeah. So... We talked about Abu Dhabi. We've slated Abu Dhabi as we always, as we always should. Um, but it's time to preview the next race on the calendar, which is the Styrian Grand Prix. Obviously, at the Red Bull Ring, it's uh, a doubleheader in Austria because obviously the Canadian Grand Prix got cancelled. I mean, Cam, just sort of give us a run through of the track. I mean, what what sort of things do you need to look out for just in over the, so back in the, the weekend the, in the... general?
1: The Red Bull Ring is, in my opinion, the most underrated track on the calendar. I love it, personally. It's got everything that I like in a Formula 1 track. You obviously start off, I'll give you like a bit of a visual. For anyone who've already listened. I'm going to try and sort of paint the track out for you right now. So you start off obviously on the finish line, bit of an uphill elevation into Turn 1, where it's a very sort of blind Turn 1. The apex, obviously, not always easiest to hit. Quite a difficult corner to get right. And really important to make sure you get a good exit coming out of Turn 1 onto um, the first straight there, sort of curves towards the top. It's sort of a corner-ish, I think is what they... I can't remember the technical term for it. But you're going up that back straight into the tight hairpin at the top for turn three. A really tight hairpin, probably the best overtaking opportunity on the track at the end of a long DRS straight. Take that corner again, a very tight apex and a really tight corner coming out as well. But really important you get that exit right for another overtaking opportunity. Now at the top of the hill, you're coming down to turn four which is again sort of medium speed right-hander but a track where you again a corner where you got real opportunity to overtake both on the inside and if you're really brave on the outside as well we know obviously last year alex albon tried that on lewis hamilton didn't quite end well for him there and then we go into arguably the most technical bit of the track and really where you can gain a lot of time throughout your qualifying map. turn five is a very quick left-hander you've got to make sure you get a good exit Out of five, you or bad exit, go too wide. You do run onto the sausage curbs at the side that can potentially ruin your suspension and wreck your lap as well. But it's important to get slightly wide on the track as well so you get a good line into turn six. Again, a bit more of a slower left-hander this time, a little more deceptive as well, slightly sort of longer apex there going through that corner and then onto turn seven, a bit of a right-hand kink there. Again, a real opportunity to make sure you get a good exit and then into the final corner, a very quick ter- turn eight, obviously the pit lane entry on the right. So obviously you got to watch out for cars going in there, but a really important corner to get out of turn eight and then into the final corner, turn nine, it goes downhill very suddenly before you hit that apex on the downhill. It's important to get a good exit. Make sure you take a little bit of curb, but not too much curb out of that corner so you don't go outside the track limits. Go then, take the uphill onto the pit straight. And your average lap time, I think, for the poll time we're looking at something around about one minute three seconds so it's not the fastest track so it's not the longest lap by any means on the calendar but you can win and lose so much time as i said particularly coming out of turn one and in that second sector it's really important to get your lap together to hit those apexes to get a good exit out of the corners and to make sure you keep a good line it's a very technical track probably one of the most technical on the calendar but it is a real challenge for the drivers, especially as it's expected to rain as well this weekend. So a very good challenge. One of my favourite on the calendar and plenty of overtaking opportunities as well.
0: No, as you mentioned, uh, sort of deceptive in its simplicity. Um, almost, it's a, I think it's the shortest lap time on the calendar. Uh, I think the second shortest lap on the calendar, obviously, after Monaco. Um, and it's a race that uh, it's a track that we saw two good races at at the start of last season, obviously, as you mentioned, Alex Albon and Lewis Hamilton coming together at the Austrian Grand Prix season opener, Lando Norris getting his first podium, and then at the steering (laughs) Grand Prix, an amazing qualifying, Lewis Hamilton putting on pole by over 1.2 seconds, and then a fairly decent race, and we had the drama at the end with Perez Norris trying to get all to the, all to the um, I guess, coming out of the final corner all together. Perez with a broken front wing. And that was the run to the line there was uh, quite quite exciting to see. And I guess I'll come to you, Giga. Are you really looking forward to this one? Especially, as Cam mentioned, there is a chance of rain. Now we've said that, mm-hmm. we will jinx it and it will be completely dry.
2: <laughs> or, oh, 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 like, fingers crossed it rains because, this, because, that, uh, because uh, wh- whenever it rains, like, no matter how uh it's it's not it it, it now it becomes like it's up to the driver if they can deliver in the wet or not and we've seen like so, some people are very who can excel in the in like these um treacherous conditions and some who uh, who've like um made uh huge mistakes and look what uh, what's happened when whenever they made that so with the two races it's like you know what no matter how no matter how similar it is it's like can you keep it can you keep it on the line otherwise you're you're basically in the barrier and no, knowing that this circuit uh, will have a high chance of a safety car then i expect to, i expect to see plenty of actions uh from uh from this race this weekend
0: yeah i mean if it does and, rain
2: and- Oh, yeah, and also, to, to make a point, um, if it does rain, like I think this could also spice qualifying up, like George, like George Russell
0: last year in the wet weather. Mm. I mean, if it does rain, uh, you there's some drivers to look out for. Obviously, we've always got Hamilton, a bit of a rain master, Verstappen up and coming, arguably as good, I mean, slightly slightly slower. Then you've got some of the midfield runners that are really good in the wet. Lance Stroh in particular, obviously, he put it on pole at Turkey in the wet last year. He performed really well in the wet at in Italy in, I think it was 2017, putting it yeah, on. Yeah,
1: although, although just, just to play devil's advocate really quickly, I think he went out in Q1 with Perez in the wet qualifying in Styria last year. So I don't know if he's the most assured bet in the world anymore. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Lance
0: Stroll very up and down. But what we will do now, actually, what I'll do is go over our or my and Malhar's predictions for the French Grand Prix. So Malhar predicted a Hamilton Bottas for Staff and Podium and a Ferrari front row um, qualifying. So that was wrong. <laughs>
1: blunt. Um, very blunt about it. And oh dear.
0: I, I think I, I'm gonna give myself the win here because I said Hamilton Perez has happened, which is the right podium in the wrong order. But then I also said four cars out on that one. So that was also like, very <laughs> wrong. Right, so what are we? I mean, I'll do the same thing. Give me a top three. And then a dramatic moment for the race. So just Ooh. anything. Oh, dramatic moment for the weekend. Something that's unexpected. Something that's come out of nowhere. I'll come to you, Cam, for so, top three unexpected moments. Um,
1: well, as much as I have spent a lot of the last hour kind of dissing Valtteri Bottas, this is one of his strongest tracks on the calendar. He does always perform well here. And I think he will perform well. Now that's not to say that I think he's gonna win the race, but um, I'm going to say I imagine. Mercedes will resp- have a response this weekend. I can see them really putting a lot of time in to make sure they get a response. And if it does rain as well, I think Lewis Hamilton will be on top there. So I'm going to say Hamilton, Verstappen and Bottas for the podium. Okay. And what about and for the A dramatic moment. Dramatic Ooh. moment. Oh, that is a tough one. I think you're going to have to come back to me on that.
0: All right. I'll come back to you. right? So, Liga, what would be your... Actually, what we'll do, we'll go through top threes and then we'll do dramatic moments. So, Giga, what would be your top three? So, I
2: see. I see Cam's point of, um but, uh, like Bottas being strong on the on on the Red Bull ring, but he's not as great as in the rain. So, I think he will miss out on the podium. I think. Red Bull will uh, will know like they, uh, they've returned to their territory and they want to deliver as well. So I'm going to say, um, I don't know how long it's been. Uh, when was the last uh, Red Bull 1-2? Because I think I'm going to predict a Red Bull 1-2 with Max Verstappen leading it. Uh, okay. okay, so Verstappen, Perez and...
0: And final one will go to Hamilton because he's... We'll uh... For Hamilton, right my one right i'm gonna assume it's raining because it will be more interesting if it is i'm gonna i'm making that now because otherwise mine might look a bit different but i do think hamilton first because he can never really escape hamilton but i might not go for verstappen and i'm what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna go for a rain affected podium Ooh. where we see a hamilton then i'm gonna give it to i'm gonna say lance stroll i think stroll
1: <laughs> that 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 is the bravest prediction oh, I prediction. have ever seen, and I predicted Newcastle to finish above Leicester in the Premier League this season. That that my <laughs> friend is even braver than I'm that. Gonna
0: go, I'm backing I'm backing Helton Stroll, and actually, you know what? Why don't we go for an Aston Martin double podium Ooh. in the wet? Oh. Stroll Vettel. He did well in Ooh. he did well in Turkey. He I mean he didn't really get the opportunity at Imola, but he. You can never really count out Vettel in the wet. Obviously, we saw mm-hmm. arguably one of his greatest ever drives in the wet in Brazil 2012 with the damage coming back to claim the title. So okay. I'm going house and stroll Vettel. Obviously, if it's dry, this is completely wrong and I will look a bit like an idiot. <laughs> but we hope and pray and we man- we just we manifest the wet weather through our predictions. So, I mean, we'll come back to these um, dramatic moments now. I mean, this I'm, can be com- this can be completely independent of your podium. So, I mean, I, I, if you want to cover bases.
1: I'm banking on the weather a little bit here, but I'm judging that it will rain throughout the weekend. I'm definitely on Saturday, maybe not as sure on Sunday, but George Russell is due a point in Formula 1. He showed last weekend in Paul Ricard that he has pace in the dry, race pace in the dry, which we've not always been 100% sure, given just the nature of that Williams. So I'm going to say that george russell will finally score points for williams this weekend it will be ninth or tenth it won't be anything more than that but it will finally be points for williams
0: okay russell points obviously we remember about the last year only 11 drivers finishing and the one driver that finished outside the points was nicholas latifi (laughs) just showing that william williams cannot score a point to save their lives and i think I mean, just coming to Williams, I think it just seems to be a mental block at the moment. The, I, I think the only
1: to... the, the, the the only point they scored in 2019 as well was Kubica because the two Alfa Romeos got disqualified in Hockenheim. So technically, I can't remember was the last time. Was it sometime in 2018? But I can't remember. I, early on in the season, Lance Stroll, I think, was like the last sort of convincing points finish yeah. for Williams, which was... <laughs> Three years, surely. Now after yeah, three years,
0: you think Ziga uh, will be your big unexpected moment? I, th-
2: I think, um, yeah. I'm. Um, I, th- I think I'm gonna go with the- with the same like George Russ Russell going for um like scoring his uh, first points. But I'm gonna. But in addition to that, uh, I think like it's also gonna be a race of um, attrition as well. <laughs>
1: Okay,
0: I like say, so yeah, so what, what are we saying? Or like 11, 12 cards finished?
2: So, what I think is like, um, like, um, I, c- I could see some of the midfield, um, like midfield drivers like crack crashing out because of um, a small mistake. I mean, that is not, uh, so s- someone, um, so, so something like at the start of the race, like, in that. Tenth, eleventh, twelfth place. Like they get together and um, and eventually they all go out. <sighs> all
0: right, so we'll do, a, we'll do a big, big lap one collision as your yeah. prediction. Write that down. And my one, oh, I don't know. I think I'm gonna have to go for a. I think I'm gonna have to go for a, a mid race thunderstorm. I'm I'm sticking. Ooh because what we have i mean us the weather forecast is very unsettled especially as we get into the late afternoon and mm-hmm. i just think that this might it might happen you might get to like i don't know lap lap let's say 50 54 or something if it does happen on lap 54 yeah. i will give you lottery numbers but <laughs> lap also, 50,
2: if, yes no, you if go. kimmy goes for an ice cream like I will drink to a pint to that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I think as well, they'll cause the Styrian Alps is very, is very unsettled, very temperate, a bit like spa in a way as well. So and as we saw, if you watch the F3 race last year, when the rainstorm came down at that point and the drivers struggling almost immediately because the rain came down so quick, I think it's going to be a real, I think there'll be a lot of interesting strategy calls there. As to whether you go for intermediates or whether you go straight onto the full wets. And I think whoever can maximize the best of either situation, because I'm not even sure I would be able to say what would be the best in that time, whoever can maximize that, you know, potent- will benefit. And that could be potentially where George Russell grabs his first points in Formula One.
0: Yeah, so I'll go for a mid race thunderstorm. And I've just remembered. <laughs> Back in two thousand and seven, when um at the Nurburgring, Marcus got leading oh. in one and only uh-huh. race. And maybe is
1: this Nikita Mazepin is... or Nicholas yes, Latifi? That's, that's what I was
0: thinking. Maybe we get a Mazepin <laughs> leading the race at some point. Maybe it comes down right at the start, like pit for full wets, and Mazepin ends up leading an F one race. I don't think Latifi, because Latifi. I like, I'm no offence to him, but does seem like the worst driver in the wet he, he he at Turkey, he had a terrible time at Imola he had a terrible time. I just don't think he gets along along with the wet weather that well. Yeah. But not really not really much you can do about that. And I think that's everything. So thank you thank you both of you for coming on. It's been it's been a been a uh, more busy one i think i've only had one yes before but now now i've got now it's doubled and maybe i'll get maybe we'll get even more next week so yeah thanks cam thanks diga for coming on i mean anything if you want to add quickly
1: i mean if if we were if we are going to judge people's wet weather performances off of turkey last year then i'm, I'm not sure what metric this show is using because i i don't i i think trying to judge anything from that race last year apart from the fact that Lewis Hamilton is one of the greatest drivers of all time in Formula One, I feel it was almost just impossible.
0: Nah, every race should be at Turkey and
1: in the wet (laughs) and on on asphalt that doesn't have any grip. We we may still get a race at Turkey, of course, to replace Singapore, potentially some of the other races later this season. So perhaps we we get to relive what made it so unpredictable last year.
0: Let's hope so. But yeah. Thanks Cam, thanks Egan for coming on and yeah, this has been a Raw Sport F1 special, I've been Will Kingsford and thank you for listening or watching.